Welcome to the world of culture pop with Steve Mason and Sue Kalinsky. Culture, comedy, movies, TV, tech, authors, trends, pop, pop. This is the Culture Pop Podcast. Hey, everybody! Welcome to the Culture Pop Podcast. I'm Steve Mason, along with my trusty partner Sue Kalinsky. Sue, you're very trusty. Wow, that's uh, that's quite a compliment. Yeah, I think it is. I, th- I think that is a compliment. Uh, although normally, you know, you'd say a trusty dog. Um, <laughs> so okay, I'm not, had, I'm not you, saying you 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 couldn't just give me the trusty, and now you got to give me the dog <laughs> analogy. <laughs> oh man! <laughs> <laughs> but I mean it in the. I mean, where would I go without my dog? So I mean it in the best possible way. Yeah, that's true. I know how much you love your dog, so that means a lot, Steve. Uh, We got our uh, guest coming up in a minute here. I wanted to ask you something about social media. Yeah, you're on social media. You're on Instagram, and you're on Facebook and Twitter. You're you're Mm -hmm. everywhere. I'm a triple threat. You're blowing up on social media. So, (laughs) Katy Perry, I I get all excited because I have 50-something thousand followers, and I, I get very excited about that. But the reality is, uh, Katy Perry has got 110 million followers on Twitter. 110 million followers on Twitter, which is insane. And she came out in the last week or so, and she's launched an attack on social media. So she says, first, she tweeted, social media is trash. Then she tweeted, the decline of human civilization. So where are you on social media? Is it more good or more bad? I think it's a mixed bag. Yeah. Um, for me, personally, I don't like the pressure of, like you were saying, you're so, ha- you know, you get really excited that you have all of these followers. Yes. I look at my page and like Twitter, yeah. you know, I have like 500 something followers. Congratulations. That's exciting. That's a start. That's a start. <laughs> well, a start. It's just like just the pressure of 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 trying to get new followers and you know it to me i i i it it feels very high school to me but what about the content the decline of human civilization is uh social media that i think in some ways it is i think you get a lot of um you get a lot of negative with it sure i think it's sometimes it's it's in the hands of people that I don't want to hear from yeah, and right. I don't like what they're, and I don't like what they're spewing. And I think it can be dangerous in some ways and, and influence people in the wrong way. See, I think it's way more good than bad. Oh, I, um, I, I do too, but I, I mean, do think, I think there people, is a dark side to it. People stay connected, you know, like uh, on Facebook, my mom trades recipes with the other house ladies that she used to hang out with. House ladies is probably not the right term, uh, but the, <laughs> From the fifties, <laughs> the other, the other and the house ladies in their house coats. <laughs> she's got, yeah, they're wearing their house coats uh, with their pocket bags. So pocketbook, uh, <laughs> pocket bags, pocket bags. So, uh, but I, but I think I know more. I think we're more connected. I think I learn a lot of stuff because I'm constantly following news and stories on social media. So I think it's way more good than bad. I think. Katie is way overstating it. That's not to say that it's not a cesspool at times. I mean, you should see some of the stuff that comes through my timeline on on Twitter. It's ridiculous. Uh, some of the hate that gets uh, turned up. But you know what? I just, I slough it off. I'm just like, eh, who are you? Why should I care that you sent me a hate tweet? Right. Have you ever blocked people from your no, social media? No, I'm not a blocker. 
A lot of people will block people on social media. I'm just like, eh, I'll be curious to see what your next attack on me is. Sometimes I don't, I don't look at it as an attack on me. Like I used to post a lot more political stuff than I do yes, now. Yes, you did. Yeah. Um, and now if I do, it's, it's like a joke, you know, right, it's, right. you know, t- Ted Cruz sleeping, you know, yes. during Biden's speech, you know? Yeah. You did a lot of politics during the Trump era. I did. But so I would get stuff from people that, you know, was pro, you know, not me, Yes, <laughs> you know, <laughs> and, uh, and, and it just, it just made me like sick to see, you know, and just to read what they were saying because they were so far off from, from my beliefs. Let's be honest. It got under your skin. It did. Yes. And there were, there was one, there were two people that I blocked. Two and, people and one that actually did block. I, yeah, one of them I I knew from my stand up days in New York, um, mm-hmm. and I never really knew anything about his politics. Right, and his stuff was just so vile. And the reason why I blocked him was because whenever I challenged him on some of the things that he said, yes. he would never respond. So they were like these little hit and runs. You yeah. know, it's 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 like a heckler. You know, when I was doing stand up, you know, they would you know be in the back of the room all brave and like yell something out, and then you try to engage with them, and it's like, okay, you want to go to battle with me? Okay, let's see what you got. Wow, you are taking this really seriously. And then they would be quiet. Yes. And and it would be like, hey, come on, you know, I can't see you. Hey, you come know. On. Uh, you know, it's only round one. Let's go. <laughs> well, I mean, that's that's Let's kind dance. of the, you know that the, well, it is it is kind of the dance that you do when you do stand up when someone's heckling you. Sure. And, and a lot of times, you know, not that I would welcome it, but you know, I I actually enjoyed um, the banter back and forth. But then you get this, you know, this this you know this. But when they banter too good, you block them. No, no, I'm not saying they banter too good. I, I'm saying the, quite the opposite with, with this particular guy because he could never support. He would, it's like, okay, if this is your stance, right. you know, let's, let's hear, you know, I want to know why, I want to know why you're saying this and, and, and I'm, giving you, I'm giving you a rebuttal and you're not coming back. Okay, so here's, here's an idea before we get to our guest. Why don't we find this guy who you have blocked and <laughs> who you liked bantering with and going back and forth? And anyway, he would... With, he would withdraw, and you wouldn't know what uh, how he responded to your uh, your tart response. Uh, so why don't we bring him on the podcast? Wow, <laughs> that would be fine. Yeah, you're good with that. Yeah, I don't think he'd come on. But yeah, I don't think so either. I don't think so either. But it's a funny idea. It's it is a, a great idea. idea. Yeah. yeah. Um, All right. Well, listen, let's jump into this. Our guest today began his career as a fitness model and commercial actor. After graduating from USC, he began a theatrical career. He has starred in films like Guest House, Legend of the Muse, and Dreamcatcher. He is currently co-starring the CBS series SWAT. Lou Ferrigno Jr. is here. Lou, thanks so much for doing this. Such a pleasure, Steve and Sue. Thank you. Uh, so, you know, I'm wondering, here you are in the, in the acting business, you uh, were a fitness model. Is it, is it difficult following in your dad's footsteps? Or do you even consider it following in his footsteps? My pursuit into acting became a lot more realistic and a lot more clear when on that front, which is what I love to do. I love to act, uh, theater commercial, film, TV, all of it. We're very different products. He's a bodybuilder, first and foremost, world champion. And when I was doing the fitness modeling, 
you know, I was reminded daily that I'll never be as big as him. I'll never be as jacked as him. I'll, you know, it's like his, his body alone is just a gift from God. So when I was doing that, there was some, there was really some unsettling thoughts in my mind, like, how could I do this? And then when I made the transition and I wanted to become an actor, I said to myself, wow, I can actually be something completely different, even though our names are the exact same, because that's what he gave me, just the JR. Um, I'm, I actually can do a lot more in my own regard, but, uh, he's always been supportive and he's always encouraged me because he doesn't have his hearing. And he said, if he had his, if I, if I, I have my hearing so I could do what he never could do. So do you, do you think that there's more pressure on you when you're the son of a celebrity to, uh, to, to, to be more than that, you know, especially you go in for auditions, they have certain expectations, like show us what you got kind of thing. Oh yeah. Um, it's, it's, you know, I have no, I have no basis for comparison, but I do know that I get the question often and I can honestly say that I can <clears throat> bet anybody to pick one credit of mine that has been achieved through the nepotistic work of my father and my family. I mean, I've, I've auditioned over and over and over and over for things um, that have nothing to do with him. I, I mean, nothing ever has anything to do with him. In terms of pressure, I, there's this, you know, it's like it's the, it's the family business. And I feel like a lot of kids, if anything, have seen what it's like with their parents to be a star. The star treatment's great. I mean, you get treated, hand, you waited on hand and foot on set for the purpose of the actor needs to be fully in um, immersed in the, in the character. So they don't have time to think about when to eat and whatnot. But I think there's an unfortunate reputation of being entitled as a celebrity child, meaning that I think that you're, you should be getting this or my parents helped me with this. Uh, but I mean, a lot of chill celebrity kids that I know didn't go into, cause on camera talent is, is very different than anything else. The nepotist, nepotism in Hollywood doesn't necessarily translate. Um, on the talent side, it's usually behind the scenes. So uh, there is an, uh, an assumption that I think kids would, uh, celebrity children would do something uh, along the lines of their, their parents, but um, I've, I've embraced it. It's, it took a long time, took a lot of therapy, but uh, <laughs> now, it's, now I, I love it more than anything. I would, I would die for what I do. I love it. What's it feel like when you're walking through an airport or you walk by a magazine rack and you're on the cover of a fitness magazine and, you know, you're, you're shirtless and that must be like the ultimate ego thing, right? That, isn't that the ultimate ego play? I mean, it's, it's funny because I know the hard work that it took to get there. So it's, and I always, and when, for something like that with my entire body is showing I, I'm, I'm looking at it critically saying I could do this. I could have been a little more lean here because when you're in really great shape and you're, and you're just peeled and shredded, oftentimes you're miserable. So whenever I'm dieting and I'm feeling good and happy, I know I'm not as in good shape as I could be. Cause I mean, I'm eating the monotony of the eating, the training, you lose it. You lose yourself in that. I get kind of shy actually. Like it's, I like, I like to do what I do. And I thought to myself, Hey, this is part of what I love and what I do. And every time I train, I think of the nights when I would spend late in my dad's gym working out after my knee surgery or just bonding with him. Cause that's the one link that I have really that and acting uh, to him that I can connect with him and, and talk with him. 
So for me, it's much more serious, but it does feel good when other people see me on the cover that I know <laughs> and they're like, wow, you, you actually did it. So I, I was reading that you played football for, um, for the Trojans. Um, mm-hmm. And then you had a, a knee injury. You just said you had knee surgery. Um, was was that your in, was that your aspiration to to be a football player? I mean, were, were you that good? I was. I, um, I was pretty. I was pretty good. I was pretty athletic. And by pretty, I mean, I, I mean, my aptitude was very high. My knees just gave way both in college and high, in high school. ACL injuries, like the worst possible injury that could yeah. happen, but. I had to distinguish myself from my father somehow at that point in my life. I wasn't necessarily set on acting, but I knew I had to do athletically. I could do something special. I graduated my, my senior season in high school was 16 years old. I was very young. Development was just so not where it should have been to really be a successful athlete, successful ball player, but I even was successful then. So when I went to USC, it just happened to be coming off of one of the best season, just five, three-year run. Um, I guess Texas. So, what, so what years were those, Lou? So I walked on, unbeknownst to me, was my last year of eligibility, my redshirt senior year, in the season of 2006. Wow. You were there when USC football was Pete Carroll and winning national champ. You were there during kind of a goal. I was doing pregame for USC during those days. So I, I was part of that run uh, with, uh, with the university. But what an unbelievable time to be part of the program, right? And I, and I was a linebacker, too. So wow. uh, imagine that. I think it's, of eight of us, six of us went pro. And I think three or four went in the first round. Clay, Brian Cushing, yep. Luga. I mean, hmm. I mean, I was banging with these guys early in the spring practice until I got injured. And it was it was the real deal. I just it just it's funny because I've always managed to do things the hard way. Um, I wanted to walk on and test my abilities. And aside from the knee injury, I actually injured my knee and they, they cut me from the squad. And then I was devastated. I, I spent the whole year training, getting, I was about 236, running about a 4'6, four, 4'7. Four, wow. Hadn't played in a few years. Training just didn't go out, didn't hang out, just wanted to make the team. My goal was to make the team. And then the next day after being cut, I hobbled into Pete Carroll's office. I got a call from Slutech and he's like, hey, I want you to come in the office. And I was like, for what? And then uh, I hobbled my way in. They grab Coach Pete. Pete comes out of a team uh, coaches meeting, and he's like, "I know how things happen, but uh, physically, you're different than those guys. The other guys that tried on, tried out, um, and walked on." But he's like, "I want you on this team," hmm. and, uh, and he saw what I could do. And even in the senior ceremony, he even made it clear again, which was so generous of him. But to be honest, I, I would have given everything to um, just to be and play on that team. So ultimately, I did achieve my goal of making the team. And I think it really was a blessing blowing my ACL and, and saving all the, uh, the, in, I mean, talk, the hits I would take at practice. Were, I mean, they, they, we used to call them dingers back in the day, yeah, Steve. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, where, I mean, this was part of the deal. You, you get ru- your bell rung and then you try not to show and then you go back out there. And yeah. now, I mean, it shows that these hits have very serious, lasting repercussions. Yeah. You know, Pete, I, I got to sit and do an hour with Pete uh, on the radio every Wednesday when he was there uh, for ESPN. And there was something about him that made him different from every other coach, frankly, that I've ever dealt with. What What is it about Pete Carroll? I mean, the guy is like so, he's so fun and he's, and he's so nice and he's genuine. And it's like, he's a guy that's really, you've seen, he's been, through the ringer 
in terms of uh, you've seen the ups and downs in this business. And I was just a walk on, you know, I mean, now, mind you, I was like a blue chip athlete coming out of college, coming out of high school that I just chose not to play. Um, but I was a kid that was going to, I mean, I could, I was keeping up with all the guys in spring practice. I mean, my size alone and my speed was enough to just be a body on spring on the spring squad. But like he, he saw, and it was kind of funny because I went up to him the year before and it happened. And I later found out Tom Brady did this, to, to, and I do not mean to put myself in the same situation, same conversation as Tom Brady, unless it's this. So Chyla Rochelle was playing offensive guard and I would show up to practice every other day and just stand around and watch. And I talked to him and he's like, you're going to try out. And then one day he's like, go talk to him, go talk to Pete. And then I just went up to him and I said, coach Pete Carroll, my name is Lou Ferrigno Jr. I'm going to be playing for you next season. And he was taken aback by, I think just the gall of, of this, this student athlete coming on and saying that I think that, uh, and that just came out of me and the confidence that he emitted from me, he appreciated. And he made me feel as if, I was welcome. I didn't play much. I got injured halfway through spring, spring ball, but um, he knew that I gave everything and he acknowledged that. And he's fun. He's, he's, he's just great. I have nothing but great things to say about Pete Carroll and my experience with him. You know, I want to tell one quick story because I I've did a lot of stuff with Pete over the years, did a lot of interviewing and, and hung out with him a little bit. And uh, there's a great story in one of his books about a game when he was coaching New England and they came down to a critical play with the Jets. And uh, they, they were at the goal line, and it was fourth and one, and it was a touchdown to win. And, you know, a lot of coaches would be like, if you do not score here, you will take this to your grave. Like, that's, that's kind of like a football coach kind of thing. And instead, what Pete did was he said, isn't this great, guys? This is what we spent all our time waiting for. This is a great moment. Just go out there and have fun. And I thought that is the difference between a regular football coach and Pete Carroll. Yeah, it was just fun. Competition Tuesdays, like he always, you know, we showed up uh, when we played Michigan in the Rose Bowl um, on January 1st, 2007, January 1st, 2007. Wow. Uh, I mean, we walk in, James Brown had just passed. He's playing James uh, James Brown and he's just, he's getting up. We're singing, we're dancing, we're having, we're playing jokes. He let us be us. Um, there was a discussion. We had a $350 Visa gift card. As we ended up getting, we, we had a gift from the uh, BCS and he's like, you guys can pick what you want. So then, uh, you know, there's a, four, a few things were on the board. One was a Visa gift card. Another was uh, blue nose pit bulls, which got about seven or eight uh, votes. And then red nose pit bulls got about 15 votes. And right. then we ended up getting the card. I was like, this is hilarious that he's just like, he's like, yeah, he's like, we'll play around. We'll do it. But, uh, I mean, some of the funny, some of the funniest things I've ever heard and some of the really most inspiring things I've ever witnessed and been a part of happened in that training room and, and with Pete Carroll. So I, I want to go back to your, uh, to your acting career. So you started out, you were on Days of Our Lives, right? <laughs> yes. And I want to know how, how, um, how challenging it is to be on a soap opera because I was reading that you are getting new lines like up until the time you shoot because they do so much rewriting. How difficult is that as an actor? It's it's incredibly difficult. I didn't get that kind of work because I had I had I did I think five episodes and when I the one scene with all of my dialogue until the, it was all good to the last five minutes and then it got all got cut. But they, the whole format is challenging. 
for an actor because they bring you in in blocks. So if you get in, I think there's like a 7.30 block to 11, 11 to 2, and then 2 to 5. So if you don't work till um, 11, I mean, from 7 to 11, you're sitting around. And, um, and it's, it's tough because you, I mean, I come from a background of doing theater on stage, doing improv and you get zero rehearsal. I mean, you get one rehearsal take, you shoot, you move on. And as an actor, really trying to discover these moments and establish this relationship and look for that gold that we see, uh, you don't really get that. And it's unfortunate because you have to battle with, I mean, if you, if you, the, the line and the load of, of all those lines is a muscle and it will grow and strengthen the more you do so. But I'm 50 pages a day. Some, sometimes I hear Crazy. it's, it's un, mm. unreal. And people are saying, Oh, soap opera has this stigma of soap acting, but it's like half the time these people are trying to think of what to say. They like the lines are, are in there, but it's just like the words it's the, the load alone is, is incredible. But I think unless you know everything back front, it really hinders your ability to find truthful moments. Um, and then, so the nature of that format of programming is just, it's challenging in a way where, you know, I, I it didn't allow me to get too prepared. Um, I had a great time on set with the soap opera, but I, I don't think it's going to be something that you're going to see much more of me in. Um, <laughs> because it was just, I mean, I said I could do things the hard way, but this is a, this is a whole nother game. Yeah. So we watched some episodes of, uh, of SWAT and saw you on SWAT. One, one thing I was surprised about was when you came out of USC, you actually went to improv. You, you worked with a couple of pretty prestigious uh, improv companies here in LA. Uh, is that, do you view yourself as, as a guy who ultimately is going to wind up doing comedy? Um, yes. I, I, you know, they say, uh, timing is is genetic, but really, when I went up on, imp- I mean, I was always an athlete, and I was on the better end of of everything that I played. So you know, it was able for me to be free and be me. The hardest part about doing improv was, um, yeah, I think I'm a fairly smart guy too. But some of these guys are just razor sharp, and when you're doing improv, long form comedy with writers, brilliant guys who are their minds are moving so quickly. Comedy at a certain point becomes not just delivering the line, but having to formulate a scenario and, and create this on the on the drop of a, at the drop of a hat. And I got the vibe out of a few places that nobody looked like me, Steve. Yeah. They were all comedy writers. They were all comedians. They were, um, you know, and I think I kind of reminded a lot of them of somebody that bullied them in their life, I guess, because I <laughs> felt like the odd man out. Um, but what I wanted was a challenge. I knew that. You know, dramatic acting is is tough in its own right, but comedy and especially going up on stage for forty minutes and having zero prepared, um, I think I thought it was absolutely harrowing. The idea of going up there and just letting it all out, but the stuff that I've seen on stage and the experiences I've had with improv comedy and 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 the, the rush from getting that that uh that crowd reaction from something you've devised uh, just on the spot was something that was so like awe-inspiring to me. So I really wanted to tackle that and be a well-rounded actor. Yeah. And, and I, I would think that um, being skilled in improv has only helped you as an actor. Wouldn't you say? A hundred percent. I mean, I think uh, in my troupe, uh, you know, we had, I, we had, I had a troupe um, of great, great improv comedians and we would go places that were so dark and so inappropriate, but there was a safety in there. 
for us because it was like we could go there and we could be free, but it was never personal. And you connect with people more so um, when you really kind of share those moments and that, that grind. But I had people in my troop I worked with that were lawyers that were, I mean, it's all, all different walks of life. Improv will help you in any aspect of life. Uh, but it is a tool. You don't get rich from doing improv comedy. I mean, there's a handful of guys that are the greatest to ever do it, but I always approached it as a means to get better and be more fearless when I am up there doing an intended role, job, what have you. Yeah, because so, they always say that the um, the one rule of improv is never to deny. Mm-hmm. Just always agree and just go with it. Yes, and go with it is the <laughs> thing. As long as you commit, it's funny. And a lot of times, I mean, if, if an idea is kind of, I don't know, I don't know, our first instinct is to say no and shut it down so you have time to think. But when you shut it down, that's nothing can move forward. So it's yes, and then you add something else. And then randomly, I'll meet people where it's all of a sudden, I, I find that based on our conversation, they're comedians or they're yes-anding, and it just goes to places because it's fun. Yeah. You know, it's just yes-and, yes-and, yes-and. And it just teaches you to listen. I mean, especially mm-hmm. with what you guys do and... And just dealing with people, especially, I mean, you catch little things to use because you're, you're, you're starving in a desert for you're thirsty, you're parched for information, for something to save yourself from this crowd and uh, of a mentality. So you're looking, you're paying attention, you're present, you're aware. And uh, acting is really all being aware, reacting um, and creating those moments. So let's talk about uh, health and fitness because I've had a crazy uh, pandemic. I started out weighing 195. I got as high as 217. I got back down to 188 and now I'm at 201. So I have been on the ultimate roller coaster, sometimes eating healthy, sometimes not. I ride uh, my bike, I walk and I, uh, what else? I do yoga every day. But what's, what's the secret to being, if I wanted to look like you, what's the secret? Yeah, that's what I'm asking. If I, if I want to look like you, what's the secret? Oh, I don't know, Steve. Um, it's getting awfully late. We, I think we have to cut this short. <laughs> How tall are you, Steve? I'm 5'10". Okay. Um, you know, it's, everybody wants the secret, uh, the miracle pill, the miracle, uh, miracle bit of information. It's, uh, it's, it's 70% of his diet. Meaning if you just, there's a counterintuitive approach to, to fitness and, and weight loss and building muscle. If you eat less, you'll lose more because you're not eating as much, but, but it's not like that. Your body's actually like a machine that you need to keep fueling, like a locomotive. You got to keep fueling it. Um, the secret is to really, I tell my buddy, buddy of mine is, uh, Kenny Choi from nine one one. We, I did three episodes of that with him and he, he asked me too. And, you know, I trained people for about 10 years. I worked with kids at an adolescent rehab center in Malibu, um, for addiction, um, all different types of things. And I would, I would listen to you and, uh, and John during that stretch of time. So it was very, uh, it was a cool, cool time. I always look forward to you guys because I was spending an hour on PCH. Oh, thanks, man. Yeah, dude. Uh, and the, um, it comes down to, where was I going with this? Uh, it comes down to, it's the eating, man. It's the, it's the getting those macronutrients, eating what you don't want to eating for a purpose. So when right. I told Kenny Choi, and people ask me questions all the time, what do I do? I'll, I'll, I'll start talking, and then I realize, oh my God, I really do know this stuff, but it's overwhelming for a lot. So I tell Kenny, I say, buy a head of broccoli, a raw head of broccoli, 
mm-hmm. eat it and don't stop till you're finished. Why? Wow. Just eat it. If you can eat a raw head of broccoli, you because you'll see how you feel afterward, but also you did it. How committed are you? Eat a whole raw a head of broccoli. It's great for your jaw. You're chewing. It's, it's nothing but sunshine when you eat it. The first step is the committing to whatever you're trying to achieve. If you say you want to look like this, we need some, uh, we, we need some type of goal, something that's going to keep you going. Breakups are great. Um, I think the life changing health issues, uh, life scare sure. is great. You know, something that's going to keep you on track. And I think you should, when you should, the best advice is to start on a plan, start on a program, whatever that may be. Don't think about it. Don't look at yourself in the mirror for at least four weeks. Hmm. And then, and then we'll talk because it's the everyday checking in. It's this and that that gets, it's not even, it gets you discouraged. If you couldn't see your body for four weeks, you're, you're not going to be waffling. You're going to say, Hey, I really want this done and I want to see. And then, but it's, that's the toughest part. A head of broccoli, Sue. Are you going to be on the head of broccoli uh, campaign? I'm kind of halfway there. I could, I've, I've eaten probably half a head of broccoli. Steve, my, my suggestion for you is you have to stop smoking weed. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean. Is it the munchies? Yeah, it is the munchies. It is the munchies. Smoking is zero calories. It can't yeah, be the weed. I, that's the beauty of it. Like I have friends who drink, but there's calories in it. Weed, there's no calories, but it makes you go and consume calories. And I am a regular cannabis user. I think that's one of my big problems. My weight goes up when I'm using cannabis and my weight goes down when I'm not. So just, I've just got to go through stretches with without it there. Um, but I, yeah, do you really do the thing with the, uh, all the weights and stuff in the back of your car? Yeah. You saw the men's health. Video? I watched, I watched the video where you've got everything you need to work out in the trunk of your car. Um, is that something you really do? Uh, it is something I do. I built those parallettes and I, I would go from location to location and you know, like I'm, I'm, you know, I, I'm just, I'm a, I'm a normal, cool guy. I'm practical. So I have this stuff in my car and they came to me to do this, to do this video and everybody's got their own private gym and they're training at this and they've got this all locked down. And I'm like, I don't even like, I, I train on the back of my car. It's not glorious. And then they were like, no, we love that. I'm like, okay, cool. So we'll just do it. And I just decided to be me. And the beauty is you can go anywhere and, and do it based on the tri sets that I was showing. Yep. Um, but what's, what's interesting, Steve, is I was doing this to help people and say that you don't need a gym membership because I was going insane. I was trying to run. I was trying to, during quarantine. I had yeah. to get out of the house, but lifting weights for me kept me sane. So I was, it was trying to help people saying you don't need like the broccoli. How it's two, three bucks. So it's like the cheapest thing you could get and it does so much more, but it's a gruel in between. So I did this video and I thought it was unique and I thought it was, uh, I thought it was, uh, you know, proprietary. It was like, it was, it was something that wasn't, it was atypical for what this men's health would do. And then if you read the comments, some of these human beings, if they are human beings are just so mean to the point of like, yes. what? Like the, all of it was like, wow, how, this guy's nowhere near his father. This guy's, oh, really? Did I, lose, I thought just Lou Ferrigno, I didn't Lou Ferrigno had a daughter. All this like like irrelevant mean stuff that I'm like, yeah. and then a couple of people are like, "Wow, this is great. This proves you don't need a gym membership." Um, but yes, I do do all of that because regardless of what's happening, if there's a, a bomb that drops or whatever, I need the my the world is a better place if I'm happy because I like to make everybody's life around me better. 
I like to just be in a better state of mind. So I will get my workout in one way or another. I won't allow uh, a gym being closed to hamper my fitness goals for and my mental health, especially. So you mentioned the mean stuff. Um, we actually <laughs> just had a conversation. Uh, Katy Perry said she's got 110 million Twitter followers. I got all excited. I've got like 50,000 Twitter followers. She's got you love Katy Perry, don't you? Uh, yeah, I, I'm a big Katy Perry guy. 110 million Twitter followers. And she comes out and says, social media is trash. It's the end of human civilization. Do you view it as that, uh, that strong? Is there more good or bad that comes from social media? <sighs> well, um, the fact that you have to think about it may, is a bad sign. I, I, I'm just one to think like, it's not like we developed these, these tendencies in the last like 10, 15 years of social media. I mean, I think it's been around forever. The, the, the envy position to be mean and spiteful, but this is anonymous, but it's, so I'm not thinking that this is new. This is what humans just do. Um, and I'm reading a great book and they're talking about just the envy and that how, and it's just so, and people even commented on it, the envious stuff. Um, but I think when people anonymously are allowed to bash and they, they don't like themselves and they can project for people to see, um, it is unfortunate that people can, can do that and feel like doing that and try to disparage human beings or just do whatever they're doing, either whether it's creative expression, whether it's me working out in the park trying to show people what to do or anything or just being mean. Um, it shines a light on the, on the, uh, the dark side of human nature to of that degree. But I think with social media, there has been a lot of good. I've, I've, I mean, I'm an artist, I paint and I've seen some of the most amazing artwork I've ever seen that I, that inspires me to paint all, every day. Um, the connectivity, I think, I mean, and then there's the, I think marriage, marriage or is lower than, I mean, it's hard to like, people can come out of the woodwork and now you can be happy, happily married. And then your high school, you can talk to your high school crush from um, 20, 30, 40 years ago. Right. So that's tough, but it is what it is. I'm not surprised because at this point, I, I saw this all growing up too. People were mean to my father. My father's hmm. handicapped. He, you know, they would say mean things to him, um, especially at Comic-Con. Guys would try to put him in these precarious situations because he couldn't hear. Um, and they'd be videotaping before we had some camera phones. So I'm, I have a, a very kind of cynical eye. Um, an ear for that stuff. But when it happens to you, it's a little bit different. It's hard to shake it off. You know, I get a lot of great, great comments and I'm thinking, when am I going to get a bad comment? Because I think that's when all the stars get bad comments. And then this was just like, mean, 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 mean. And I'm like, I guess I'm, I guess I'm making it here. This is, you know, so yeah, you've I see arrived. it as a sign. Yeah. I see it as a sign of, of, of progress. Yeah, well, you know, the mean stuff, yeah, like you were saying, it's it's been around for a long time. You know, when I was growing up, I'm much older, older than you. There was a thing called slam books that they had in uh, public school. And it was a notebook. It was like one of those like black and white, you know, one of those composition, you know, book. comp composition books. Yeah. And um, there would be numbers and you were anonymous. And then it would have somebody's name and, and someone would write, you know, um, hate you, you're ugly. And then there would be a number and you knew what your number was, but nobody else did. And that was going around the school and it was horrific. Yeah. It was I'm just sure. horrible. But like you were saying, like, you know, Steve and I were talking about how, you it know, sounds, by the way, like Mark Zuckerberg picked up that idea and ran with it. Slam book. Yeah. The early uh, yeah. stages of Facebook. Yeah. For yeah. Sure. But, yeah. But then, you know, the beautiful thing is, you know, I'm in contact with people that I went to summer camp with like 40 years sure. ago, you know, that 
I haven't seen since I'm 14 years old. So, yeah. you know, that's kind of the, the beautiful side of it. You know, there's definitely, I mean, it definitely goes both ways in that sense, but it, it's the human, I think the human, I've seen with my father as a third party, seeing how people treat him because I was, whenever I went anywhere with my father, I was invisible. I was, nobody cared to me to, to know me or even see, like meet me unless it was a means to get to my father. So I would watch people and I would watch how people would change when they would meet me and then meet my dad and then go back to me knowing that I'm my dad's son. Um, but it's, you know, I can go on and on and on about it. But yeah. I think that, you know, even kids in school, they, I mean, they, they called me like, I was heavy growing up. I was fat. And just because I was a chunky kid, I like to eat. Steve, you know what's yeah, up, I, dude? Hey, I'm there. <laughs> man. I'm there now. <laughs> like I was running chunky across the adult. yard. Yeah. Um, like tons of fun. Lou Mungus, like, like Lou Mungus, just me, spirit. But you know what? Every time, every time I look in the mirror, I I hear those kids say that, and I and I see that chubby, eleven, twelve year old that I was, and it and I use that as fuel. But it's unfortunately a lot of people. I mean, the, I think the suicide rates of young girls is definitely yeah increased yeah. due to social media based no on. Question. And I was talking to, because I used to coach kids at this rehab center and they would come in with just scars all over their bodies. And I'm like, what is going on? What is this? So they'll cut, which is a new, was a new thing to me. And then they'll put it on social media and compare and then they'll, they'll do it. And then it's a, this is endless cycle of comparing your scars. And it's just like, it's just sad. Hmm. Hmm. You know, I was, I was going to ask you, you know, being a kid, if you, if you were ever bullied, because I would think, you know, with your being the son of the Hulk, that would have been a, like a built-in bully repellent. You know, it's like, I'm not messing with him. Yeah. I mean, I was always a really, really nice kid. I was big, um, even though I was young for my grade, but I was always a really nice kid. So it was always words. No one dared to try to um, hurt me physically. I mean, it, you know, I was, I, it's always the nicest people that have the darkest sides, you know, like don't, don't push it. And there's a reason why I was, I, I saw the dark side of people wanting to literally use me to get to my father. Um, but then when I transferred schools, when I was young, when all this uh, came to mind, and I started going through puberty. My dad was 1993. So he was about second year in from a comeback third, fourth year in, I think. So he was about pushing to three thirty, three thirty five. He walks onto campus and he had the body alive collar ripped out four XL shirts and kids would stop. We would walk up to the line, the car line at the end of school. And there was like six kids just stopped there looking. And I was like, what are they looking at? Oh, it's my, my vanilla gorilla father with my little, <laughs> holding my little brother's hand, just bigger than he's like an eclipse. He's just massive. And I was like, Oh, that's not, that's different for them. Um, but yeah, no, never, never the case. Uh, I want to ask you about SWAT, which is now in uh, season four, and you, you're a regular uh, recurring character on the show. So do you get to do all your own stuff? Like, are you the guy that gets to kick in doors and all that kind of stuff? Are you like Tom Cruise doing your own stunts, or how does that work? Well, there's a difference between stunts and action. Okay. Um, so then the, all the action, I'm doing. And a, a few takes uh, I will definitely do. But if there's also, because of the nature of the show, there is a stunt team. And regardless of whether I want to do it or not, there is a guy there to do certain stunts and it's their job to get hurt. And, you know, I've always been kind of a, a rugged kind of tough guy, but this is the moneymaker. And one time <laughs> there was a stunt where 
Um, you know, I was, I was, you know, I'm a football player. I, I played, uh, I walked out of USC and the stunt was the guy shoots a flare gun, turns around, and then my character tackles him. And it was the San Pedro Harbor. And I was like, okay, I'm ready to do this. And then Charlie Brewer, the stunt coordinator, was like, all right, we're, we're going to let uh, stunt guy do this one. We'll see how it goes. And I was like, what? I'm, I'm ready. I'm ready. So we did it. And I was like, just kind of biting. I was like, I, was, I want to do this. I want to do it. I want to do it. They took the first take. The guy turned, shot the flare gun, and the barrel's about this big. He tackles the guy, and the barrel, some miraculously, bounces off the ground, and it slams right into his face, cuts his face open, and we switch, and he's over there, and I look, and I look, I'm on top of the guy as we switch because I just we switched him for the camera, and he, his back's covered with blood, and I'm like, oh my god, where's Oliver? And Oliver's in the back, like, like blood pouring out of his wow. face. Wow. Yeah, and then I was thinking. And I was just thinking from that day on, I was like, I will let the stunt guy do that type of stuff. Yes. Because yes. The, the worst thing is when the producer would come and be like, well, that's if I were to, if that were to happen to me, it's like, well, why, that's why we give you a stunt double. That's what that's what he's there for. Yeah. Why yeah. would I risk that? Um, so there's a few stunts that are really cool that I got to do that they kept in there because the stunt guys, if they don't work, they don't get paid. So I always want the stunt team to do what they can to, to be involved. Um, but no, I mean, all the action, all the hand to hand stuff, the fighting stuff, it's all me. So have you ever done like a ride along? I've done a ride along. My dad's a reserve deputy sheriff, mm-hmm. um, in Ventura County. So he, I've done one years ago. Um, but not recently, but they, yeah, they're, they're, I mean, it's intense. It's, it's intense. Yeah. Well, listen, the show I, is great, obviously. Uh, SWAT season four on CBS. It's great uh, meeting you. I really appreciate you uh, you coming on the show. Yeah, thank you so much. It's it's been such a pleasure. Thanks, thank Lou. you and Sue. All right, there you have it, Lou Ferrigno Jr. and Sue. That was cool. I I did. I confessed everything about my fitness and weight struggles during the pandemic. I don't know. This is a huge roller coaster that I'm on. Think about this. Uh, One ninety five, two seventeen. 189-201. That was all over the place. You're very erratic. Yeah. So anyways, go to this uh, concert on Sunday night, the Vax Live concert at SoFi Stadium. Unbelievably cool. It was so great to be, what? Just the name of it. Vax Live? The Vax Live. Well, look, there's a reason for it. There's a reason for it. because I know. I know. It's pandemic. Help with vaccine hesitancy and all that stuff. So it's called Vax Live. Right. Uh, you're not the first person that has commented on the uh, name. It's subtitled The Concert to Reunite the World. Uh, and it was great. Foo Fighters were unbelievable. Uh, Jennifer Lopez was great. Ben Affleck was there. Huh? Huh? Oh, J-Lo. really? Ben mm-hmm. Affleck there. Huh? Well, there's been talk huh? that they've been having some meals together. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Goodbye, A-Rod. Is this uh, Benefer? Is this Benefer 2? Benefer 2, the sequel. Uh, hopefully we get Geely two out of it. So, <laughs> oh God! But but it was really weird to be shoulder to shoulder, and everybody was vaccinated. You had to show proof of vaccination, shoulder to shoulder, with twenty thousand people at SoFi Stadium was actually unbelievably cool to be part of it. Cause I felt like, Hey, the world is waking back up. Uh, this weekend I had a baby shower at a birthday party, um, had a concert. It felt like a normal world weekend with the exception of wearing a mask. But, uh, but would you feel comfortable in a crowd of 20,000 people with everybody vaccinated and everybody wearing masks? 
Yeah, I would. You would. Yeah, I would. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think that's where we're going. I think, you know, for example, ball games, I cover sports. I would think that ultimately Dodger games. I mean, if I was a business, I think I would require proof of vaccination. Or if I am selling tickets to an event, I think I would require proof of vaccination uh, because that covers my ass, right? Oh, yeah. You know, there's this comedian, um, Steve Hofstetter. He's he's a really, really funny guy, and he uh, he does a lot of topical stuff. So he, was, he, he posted on Twitter um, part of his set. And he was saying how, you know, all these people are so anti, um, you know, um, registering. He was talking about registering guns and, and, but, but then, you know, he was talking about being registered for, you know, vaccinations and yep. how you're taking, you know, you're taking my, uh, my freedom away. And he was saying, sometimes you, you have to register things. We register things. That's Cars. just the way. Exactly. So he said, you're not going to, because they're saying, you know, if, like if you register guns, you're, you're taking away, you're taking away my guns. And he says, no, we're not taking away your guns. We just want to make sure that people who shouldn't have guns, you know, yeah. you know, don't have guns. He says, you know, it's, it's like going to the DMV, you register your car. Sure. You're not going to say, what are you doing? You're taking away my car. <laughs> <laughs> no, we, you need to register your car. That's right, just, right. you know, it's a well, safety I've, thing. I've said this kind of on the, on the show, but I'll, I'll say it more clearly here. Look, we are quickly reaching a point where we've got more vaccines than we have people willing to take them. And I hope that changes over time. But at this concert, they talked about how, for example, India, you know, they've got virtually no vaccine there and, mm-hmm. and people are dying in the streets or, uh, 4,000 people a day. Only 1% of the African continent has been vaccinated at this point, and they've got terrible issues. So, look, if we've got excess vaccine, I think we've got to send that stuff to the developing world. If people don't here don't want to take it, then uh, let's send it to people who desperately want it. And mm-hmm. if you don't take it, that's certainly right. I mean, your your liberty and all that stuff. If you get sick, I'm really sorry for you, but it's going to be hard to have sympathy. Oh, yeah. You could have prevented it. Well, you know, there are a lot of people who who are anti who are saying, well, I'm 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 I feel good and I'm young. And it's like, no, you have to worry about what you may be doing to somebody, somebody else also. Right. And by the way, my nephew, who's 27, was down for eight days and they thought about putting him into the hospital. Um, He's a young, you know, young guy, very healthy. Um, so it, it, you just don't know who it's going to strike, but man, if you can't, if you, if you haven't gotten your vaccine yet, get your vaccine. I know a lot of people come to uh, culture pop for, um, uh, speeches about getting vaccinated. You know, it's a, it's a soapbox for us, but I mean, seriously, get vaccinated. Yeah. 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 I know we don't, we don't usually talk about stuff like this, but no, it, it is really important. It is important. Um, all right. So, uh, Sue, you hear me talk about our friend Jacob all the time. Mm-hmm. And you know, Jacob is a sponsor of the world champion Los Angeles Lakers. Did you know that? Yes, I've seen billboards all over Los Angeles. Yes. So Jacob is partnering with the Lakers because they know what it takes to have a successful team. In basketball, the GM and ownership construct the team. The coaching staff works with the players and the players perform on the court. Think of Jacob as the owner. GM and player coach. Jacob, the owner and GM, has built a large and powerful team that has the knowledge and experience to help you win your case. 
Jacob, the coach, has got meetings with his team and analyzes the best path to success for your particular case. And Jacob, the player, will do whatever it takes to help you win your case, even jumping on a call, meeting face-to-face with the insurance company, or deliberating in the courtroom. Jacob is a real person, a real attorney. That's why he's our attorney. And if you're ever injured in an accident, he should be your attorney. Call Jacob for a free consultation. 844-24-JACOB. That's 844-24-JACOB. 844-24-JACOB. Or remember the catchy jingle, accident or injury. Call Jacob and Ronnie. Call Call Jacob. Jacob. All right, I actually like that one. I actually. But every time we're off, you say we're on. Yeah. We're so not on the same page. Yeah, I know. You say potato, I say potato, all that stuff. All right. Call the whole thing off. Till next Culture Pop Podcast. (laughs) Don't forget to subscribe. Hit the subscribe button, rate, and review. Thanks again to Lou Ferrigno Jr. for joining us. Uh, We'll have another Culture Pop Podcast for you very soon. Make sure you're out there.